Well, I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. Merry Christmas. Everybody have a good Christmas. I pray that you did. I hope you did. I did. I'm just very full of joy and grateful for God's blessings in my life. And not, not just that, but the fact that we celebrate Christmas is just the coolest thing to me. You know, Jesus became a man to come to save us and to live a life as a man. Uh, all, the, all that that in, it would entail for him to do, he came and he did it sacrificially so that we could have a right standing with the Father when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? Well, today I have a word for you that is a very practical word, and I believe that is for every follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, this word is for you today. And I believe that there is an action that every follower of Christ must do to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And this action is the action of obeying God's word. Amen? Without the obeying, without the obedience of God's word, are we truly followers of Christ? You know, to follow somebody, it means you go where they go. It means you want to know where they're going, where they're leading you. You want to know why they're leading you where they're leading you. You want to be able to see where they're going so that you can follow them. The only way we as believers can truly follow the Lord is to obey His Word, is to know His Word, is to study His Word. Amen? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three examples of where Jesus really lays out the importance of following Him, following His Word. And then we're going to look at two, um, two uh, requirements that are needed in order to obey God's Word. So we're going to start in the book of John. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today. So hopefully you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, hopefully you have a, a smart device of some kind that has a Bible on there. And if all else fails, hopefully you can read the tiny uh, verses on the screen because they will be up on the screen. But I'm going to be jumping through, so just follow along as best you can. And let's, let's get into it. So the first passage from Jesus is in the book of John, chapter 8 and verse 30. Through 32. <clears throat> and it says this. And, he's, and, and he was saying these things. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had been with him, who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So this word abide simply means to live. Or to dwell. And so Jesus is saying that if we abide in Him, if we live in Christ, then the truth will set us free. And so it's, it's important that we are filling our minds with the Word of God, with the living Word of God. The second example I want to show you is in John chapter 15. And this is verse 1 through 8. And this is where Jesus is using the vine as, a, as an example. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here Jesus very clearly says that to prove that you are a follower of me, you have to have some good fruit on your branch. And it's a very simple example. You know, many of us are familiar with planting of trees or, or gardens. And if you don't tend to the garden, if you don't tend to the tree, it will die. Because at the root of the tree is where the life is. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And if you are a follower of me, you are a branch on that vine. Now in order to bear good fruit, you need the life and the power from the vine. You cannot be a branch in the middle of nowhere without the vine. You cannot bear fruit without being connected to the vine. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to bear good fruit in your life, you have to be connected to me. You have to know me. You have to know my thoughts. You have to know my will. You have to have my power working in your life in order to bear good fruit. So a great gauge for us as Christians, when we say that we are followers of Jesus, when we say this phrase, I'm a Christian, or we have friends that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, or, you know, I, I pray at night before bed. The real way that we can examine our lives and the people around us is by their fruit. What fruit is being produced in your life that shows that you are a true follower of Jesus? Is it good fruit? There could be bad fruit. How many of you have ever planted something, maybe a fruit tree of some kind, and you got some good fruit and you got some bad fruit, right? The bad fruit you obviously don't keep. You throw it away. Because why? Because it's no good. But when we're connected to God's, when we're connected to God, when we're connected to the tree of Jesus, when he's the vine, it's all good fruit. It's all, it's all fruit that produces good in our lives. Now when we talk about fruit, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that come from being connected to God, connected to the vine. And so I just want us to, to have that picture in our minds as we move forward through this message that in order to be true followers of Christ, we need to be seeing the fruit in our lives. We need to be seeing the fruit in our family's lives. Amen? The last example I want to look at is found in Matthew chapter 7. And this is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which I think begins in chapter 5. But just a quick background leading up to this, this passage. Jesus had begun His ministry a little less than a year prior to this taking place. And 
When he began his ministry, he began teaching in the synagogues. He began preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And crowds began to flock to Jesus because of the way he spoke with such authority and such power. And people began to bring the lame to Jesus as he began to heal one or two. People began to get word that this guy was healing these, these people of their sicknesses, of their diseases. So you can just imagine these crowds of people around Jesus. And what a cool sight that must have been as Jesus went from town to town to proclaim the gospel. That you had these crowds of people following him. And so that leads Jesus up to this mountaintop where he has to get on the top of this mountain in order to speak to the multitude that was before him. So as he gets up there, he preaches this amazing sermon that's full of, of how we are to live as Christians today. And at the end of his sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, <clears throat> he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who hears, sorry, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here we see that Jesus equates our obedience to Him. He equates it to two things. He equates it to wisdom, right? The, the man who builds his house on the rock is a wise man. And He equates it to strength. The house founded on the rock will not fall. When we obey the, the Word of God, the, Jesus says that you are wise. Now that wisdom that we gain from our, from our understanding of God's Word, it helps us throughout our daily life. It helps us when, when the storms do come. It helps us to make the right decisions in life because we're grounded on the Word of God. If we're not grounded on the Word of God, Jesus says we are foolish if we say we're a Christian and we're not reading this word, we're not trying to learn more about who God is or what God is saying to us, Jesus calls us fools. I don't want to be a fool. But there have been times in my life, and I will admit, where I have not spent enough time in God's word. And so we need to be very, we need to just be aware that it's not, this is not just a self-help book. This is not just something you find at Barnes & Noble to help you in your day-to-day -day life here and there when you might need some help. No, this is, this is the, the living, breathing Word of God that is for us today that we are called to read on a daily basis because God says, if you are a true follower of me, you will know me by reading my Word, by spending time with me, by abiding in me. Amen? So this kind of sets up the, this idea and this action of obeying God's word. We've, see, we've seen three different passages where God, where Jesus is clearly letting us know of the importance of his word. And we're going to focus on two requirements that I believe are necessary for true obedience to God's word. And as we go through these requirements, I'd like to look at two examples 
uh, two men in the Bible in the Old Testament where we see that God gives them a a specific command and then we're going to look at how they each responded to him in different ways. And these are Jonah and Noah. Now we know who Jonah and Noah are. Most of us do. And if you don't, no problem. But these are, these are the stories that I grew up with as a kid in Sunday school that I probably knew more than anything was the story of Noah and the ark and the story of Jonah and the whale. Because they're really fascinating stories. They really are stories that demonstrate, the main thing they demonstrate is just God's miraculous power to, in, in Noah to cause the storms to... Caused the floods to come upon the earth like never before, and in Jonah, and in Jonah, he causes the storms to cap to um, draw Jonah to jump out of the boat into the sea, and then he causes a big fish to come and swallow Jonah. Just amazing, miraculous story. Now, when I say story, I don't mean a fictional story. These are true stories. They are in God's word, and they are true. I've talked to, I say this because I've talked to some friends of mine over the years, co-workers, just different people who claim to be Christians, but they're not willing to acknowledge that these stories are true. They, they say that they're parables, or they just say that they just aren't, they're dreams or, you know, something like that. But I want to point you to a passage in, in the book of Matthew where not only does someone refer to this as a true story, but that someone is Jesus. And so it holds a lot of weight, in my opinion, when Jesus quotes something from somebody in the Old Testament. I tend to believe it's true. And the way he does it is pretty cool, too. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40, says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now what Jesus is referring to here is his ministry, the end of his ministry, where he will be three days and three nights going through his surrender, his incarceration, his judgment, his crucifixion, his his death, burial, and resurrection. And he compares that with the story of Jonah being in the whale for three, three days and three nights. There's no way that Jesus would do this unless the story of Jonah were true. There's no way he would use a fictional story to validate his ministry. And so, to me, this this makes it very clear that as we go through the books of Jonah and Genesis where it talks about Noah, that that I can have confidence, that we can have confidence that these are true stories. Because if you believe Jesus, you have to believe what Jesus says. It, It goes hand in hand. Amen? Okay, so let's jump right into it. 
The first requirement for true obedience to God's word is that obedience requires submission. Obedience requires submission. We cannot obey the Lord without first submitting our will to his. It's impossible. We cannot do it. Now certainly there could be times where obeying God comes easy. There might be a situation where you feel the Holy Spirit revealing something to you that might, be very, might come very naturally for you to do. It might be very easy for you to do. It might be something that is to your favor to do. And then there might be times where we either read something in God's Word that reveals something in our lives that we need to get rid of that might be very difficult and we don't want to deal with. Or it, it won't be something that's smooth and easy. It might be something that is very challenging. And so each time we are faced with God's Word, we can either run from God's Word or we can submit and follow the Word of God. And so we're going to look at Noah and we're going to look at Moses and see how they responded when God spoke to each of them. So let's head over to Genesis chapter 6 and take a look at, at uh, the story of Noah. So this is Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. <clears throat> the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made men on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see here, what I love about the Old Testament, one of the things I love is that it really reveal, reveals to us the character of God. It reveals the way that God thinks. You know, God is not um, this being that lacks emotion. He's not this being that doesn't care. It says here in Genesis that the, the wickedness of the people grieved the heart of God. How many of you have ever experienced a time in your life where you, you were grieving? Anybody? Yeah, many of us. It's not, it's not a good feeling, you know? It's something that, that goes, goes all the way deep into your soul to grieve. And so when Jesus is saying, when, when, when Moses is saying here in Genesis that, that it grieved the heart of God, it really gives us a picture of the character of God. Here he's created mankind to bring him glory. And mankind rebels against the Lord. Mankind decides to go his own way and do their own thing. And as a result, mankind being without the Lord in their life produces wickedness, produces evil. It goes on to say that it produces violence. And what we see is that, that Noah had favor in God's eyes. And so God comes up with this plan of redemption for humanity. 
So we pick up right in, right in Genesis 6, uh, verse 9. So just the next verse. And we see what God's plan is. So these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Let's skip to verse 17. It says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. So what is Noah's response to this? Let's look in verse 22. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So when we see how God presents this plan to Noah, to me it seems like a very easy response to submit to God's call. It seems kind of like a no-brainer because God is saying, I'm going to destroy humanity. I'm going to destroy all flesh. But I'm making a covenant with you, Noah. And I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to preserve your family's life. All you have to do is build an ark and do what I say. Okay, sounds good to me. You're going to spare my life. You're going to spare my family's life. I'll build an ark. Now, certainly building an ark was not an easy task. We all, we, most of us probably know that the ark was just a marvel at the time to build a boat that large uh, for one man and his family. I mean, is incredible. Even with the tools we would have today, it, it, it's just an amazing accomplishment. But Jonah was up to the task, not Jonah, but Noah was up to the task because he knew the end result. And so it was to his favor to submit to the Lord. Now, I don't want to diminish Noah, Noah's obedience because God chose Noah because Noah was righteous. Noah, did, Noah decided to follow God even when the rest of the world was wicked. Noah decided that he was going to honor God with his life even though everybody else was saying, let's live our own way, let's do our own thing. And so God chose Noah, God made a covenant with Noah because of Noah's obedience. And so God honored that obedience. And because of that, Noah's life was preserved and God, uh, God made, made his covenant with Noah. So, let's take a look at Jonah. Because with Jonah, what we're going to see is that sometimes God's command is not always easy. It's not always something that's in our favor. It's not always something that is going to be a good outcome for us. Or, or we don't know if it's going to be a good outcome for us. It might be something that is quite uneasy. It might be something that causes pain or discomfort 
or fear or worry or uncertainty. And so it's in those times when the rubber really meets the road, when we have to decide if we're going to submit to God's voice, submit to God's word. And so let's look at Jonah chapter 1. And we're just going to read uh, verses 1 through 3 real quick. Jonah is after Obadiah in the Bible, which is after Amos. So kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. And it says here in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So we see here that God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Very clearly spoke to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. He's a prophet from Israel. He's heard the voice of the Lord before. We see in the book of 2 Kings where uh, we, we see that Jonah has been spoken to before from God. So this isn't, this isn't Jonah just misunderstanding the Lord. It's not God saying Nineveh and Jonah is like, did he, did he say Tarshish? I, I can't remember. No, Jonah knew exactly where he was going. And it's important to, to understand kind of a little bit of the context that is going on at the time in the surrounding areas of Jonah uh, when God speaks to him. Now God tells him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the nation of Assyria at the time. And this city was beyond evil. It was a dominant, brutal, torturous city that would go from nation to nation and conquer nation after nation after nation. And not only would they conquer these nations, but when they would take prisoners captive, they would joyously torture them in the middle of the city in public for all to see. And they would not kill them right away. They would torture them literally to death. And they, they would use the most brutal tactics. And probably many of us have seen movies today that are, you know, set in that medieval time period or maybe even before that. And it can, they can be kind of violent. Well, let me tell you, it's nothing compared to what these guys would do. And actually, Pastor Matt gave a message on Jonah a while back. And he goes into great detail of just how evil this kingdom was, just how brutal their torture was of their captors. I'm not going to go into it today. If you want to find all of that out, you can watch that message. It's still online. I encourage you to check it out. It's, it's, it's really interesting. But anyway, just a little bit of context. Jonah, I don't think he wants to go to Nineveh for two reasons. One, I don't think he wants them to repent because I don't think that he wants God to forgive them. 
I think Jonah wants God to show his judgment to the nation of Assyria. I think God, I think Jonah thinks that they deserve harsh judgment like they've been imposing on everybody else. And by the way, Israel is right next to the nation of Assyria. So the, the nation is conquering nations coming, the nation of Assyria is coming towards Israel. So for Jonah, a man of Israel, to go into that nation, into the middle of the city, and call them out on their sin, would really be like a death sentence. The way Matt, Pastor Matt uh, spoke of it in his message when he, taught, when he spoke on Jonah was that it would be like going into Nazi Germany in 1940 as a Jew and telling them that they're living in sin in the middle of the city. It would be like, it would be like doing that, okay? And so I think that there's two reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want them to repent because... He wanted God to judge Nineveh. And two, maybe God was calling Jonah to be a martyr. Jonah didn't know. There was uncertainty there. Maybe Jonah thought he was going to die. I mean, the chance of, of his survival if they didn't repent was probably 0%. You know? So we can see why Jonah fled. Now, where did he go? He went to Tarshish. So Tarshish is 2,200 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. You got Israel here. You got Nineveh kind of up here. And Tarshish is like across the ocean to the other side. So to travel 2,200 miles by boat would take several months. Just He's totally just running from God. Just the total opposite direction. And I think the reasons he's running... I mean, they're valid reasons, right? I mean, Jonah's, Jonah's just a normal guy. He, sure, God speaks to him, and he's a prophet, and God uses him, and that's great. But at the end of the day, Jonah values his life, you know? And he has, he has respect for God's people, and he doesn't appreciate it when people are bullying God's people around, and, uh, and he's fearing for his life, so he runs and he runs from the Lord. He runs from the command of God. And so what happens next? So we pick it up in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4. And I'm just going to read the whole, the whole story. I think that's the best way to do it. So it's Jonah 1, verse 4. And then it will kind of finish at the beginning of chapter 2. So here we go. But the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven 
who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick up Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out against them. Sorry. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And we're going to jump to verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So we see that Jonah runs from the Lord, possibly in fear of his life. And what ends up happening in this story is he almost loses his life running from the Lord. He gets thrown overboard because he knew that God was, was chasing him down. You know, we might think we can run from the voice of God. We might think we can run from God's Word or turn a blind eye to something in God's Word that is tugging at our, at our spirit. But we can't run from God. God is always there. God is always pursuing us. He is always after us. In a good way, He pursues us. And we see that He was pursuing Jonah. And what we also see is that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And this is what Jesus was alluding to when He was speaking in the book of Matthew. For three days and three nights... What in the world was he doing in there for three days and three nights? Why did it take him three days in the belly of a huge fish before he cried out to God? Don't you think that's, that's kind of insane? Like, if I was thrown overboard, I would, have, I would have said, God, like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, forgive me, help me. But no, he gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a fish, and sits in there for three days. I mean, this guy did not want to go to Nineveh that bad. He was willing to be possibly digested by a whale than to go to this country of Nineveh. That's the fear, I believe, that he had. Or just the animosity toward the people of Nineveh because of how brutal they were and how, how sinful they were. But nevertheless, we see that God was right there when Jonah cried out to him. Because in verse 10, it says that God caused the fish to spit him out on dry land. And then we go in to see 
that God calls Jonah to Nineveh again. God gives him another chance. Says, uh, you know, Jonah, you remember what happened when I told you to go to Nineveh the first time? Yeah, well, do you still want to run or do you want to go to Nineveh? So God asks him again. God tells him, God commands him, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent of their sins. So this time, Jonah goes. He's learned his lesson. Now how many of us have had an experience, maybe not just like this, but something like this, where God speaks to us and we know that if we respond, it's going to require something difficult. It's going to be uneasy. It's going to possibly uh, create uncertainty or we, we just don't want to do it because it's, it's just not what we want to do. And this is what was happening with Jonah. Jonah had his reasons. And we can make up our reasons to not submit to the Word of God. But let me tell you, as Jesus said, the wise man submits to the Word of God. It's the foolish man who rejects the Word. It's the foolish man who runs from the Word of God, from the voice of God. Now we see that even men of God, men like Jonah, they don't always heed the voice of the Lord. And so we need to be careful, even though we are Christians, even though that we believe that Jesus is our Savior and we put our faith and trust in Him, we need to be daily spending time in God's Word. Because if we don't, the time will come when God speaks to us or something is revealed to us and it, and it requires action on our part. And if we're not filled with the Word of God, if we're not spending daily time with Him, we might miss out or we might hesitate and we might miss what God is wanting to do through us like Jonah did. So, let's look at the second requirement really quickly that is, that is needed in order to obey God's Word. And that is that obedience requires revelation. Now, Noah received his revelation through his knowledge of God. It says in Genesis when we, that we read that that uh, Noah walked with the Lord. That Noah was a righteous man. So surely Jonah had some idea of the heart of God, of the character of God. And so it was a lot easier for Jonah to trust that God was going to see him through in this situation. That Jonah, that it was, it was easier for Noah to see that God was going to preserve him, that God was going to take care of him. But also, it was easier for, Jonah, for Noah to submit because he knew God. He knew the heart of God. Whereas Jonah, I believe he lacked the revelation of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Because God wanted the, the people of Nineveh to repent so that he didn't have to wipe them out. So that he could save them, preserve them, so that they would turn to him. But Noah didn't have that revelation of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Had he had that revelation, I believe it would have been enough for him to say yes to the Lord, to submit to the Lord, in spite of his fear or animosity towards the Ninevites. And so for us today, what is revelation, what is revelation for us today? 
I believe that the revelation for us today is found in God's Word. It's found in the truths of God's Word. God speaks to us today through His Word. Now certainly we can hear, hear the voice of the Lord. We can hear the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. I believe as believers, the Holy Spirit is living within us every day. We are led by the Holy Spirit. But we have to be spending time in God's Word. You know, if you just think very simply what it means to follow, I mentioned it at the beginning, to follow somebody, you have to have your eyes on them. You have to know where they're going. And it creates a desire within you to, to want to know where they're leading you, right? You don't want them to lead you off a cliff. You want to know where they're leading you. You want to know why they're taking you somewhere. And so to be a true follower of Christ, we have to be following His Word. We have to daily, daily be spending time in the Word of God. If you want to be used by God, you have to know God's Word. Because God wants to use us in a powerful way. As followers of Jesus, I believe it's every follower's calling, every follower's calling to obey God's Word, to know God's Word. It's not just the pastor's calling. It's not just the missionary's calling. It's not just the Sunday school teacher's calling or the parent's calling. It's every believer's calling to know God's Word, regardless of your, your occupation. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior, it's not just your Savior, it's as your Lord. And as, as you make Him Lord of your life, you need to spend time in God's Word. Now I'm speaking to myself. This is a word for me today. I believe that God wants each of us to, to just really analyze where the fruit is in our life. Is, are, are our lives bearing good fruit? And if they're not, where are we seeing a lack? And we need to be digging into God's Word and studying His Word in a greater, greater way. And I just want to mention something really quick to the, to the fathers here. How many of us are fathers, have children? Okay. I have a few children, and they are the greatest blessing in my life. And I know that many of you who have children would say the same about your children. Just money cannot buy I mean, I wouldn't trade any of my kids for all the, all the money and possessions in the world. The greatest gift, I believe, is, is children and family. But it's also the greatest responsibility. And God has entrusted each of us fathers to be the spiritual head of our household. And it is an immense responsibility. It's not easy. But yet, it's our responsibility. And I want to challenge you fathers out there to really take it to heart that God's Word is of the most importance. It's more important than your kid's career. It's more important than, you know, their success or their, their anything in their future. What's more important is where their heart is. What's more important is where you're leading them as their father where you're leading your family as the head, as the spiritual head of that household. God has called each of us fathers to train our children in the ways of the Word of God. But we cannot do that if we are not trained. We cannot do that if we don't know God's Word. And so I'm challenged today, I'm challenged moving forward into 2021 
that I want to be a man who knows God's Word. When my daughter or my son come to me with a question of God's Word, what does this mean, what does that mean? I want to be able to tell them what that means. I want them to know that their dad is pursuing the heart of God. And so I'm just specifically just calling you fathers out today um, because I, I believe that the strength of the family really rests on your shoulders. The, strength, the spiritual strength of the family rests on the fathers. Amen? So how many of us would agree uh, that you want to obey God's word more and more moving forward? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you allow us to be a part of what you're wanting to do in the earth today. And you still give us a choice. You, you give us the free will to obey your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you desire to have a relationship with us. You desire to, to use us for your glory. And I pray that we would take that responsibility of being used by you to heart. And that we would be men and women who desire to know your word more and more. So that we can obey your word. We can submit to you when you are speaking to us. Lord, give us the revelation that we need to know your heart. To know your desires for us. To know that when you speak to us, we can submit. We can trust in you. We can obey you. Because you are a good and just God. And we thank you that as we go from here today, that you would use us for your glory. And that you would give us the, the wisdom and the strength and the power to make a, make a, a difference in our, in, our, in our city and in our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.